0: To Law and Gospel on this Monday, November the 8th, in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Monday, we take a look at a reading for the coming Sunday, which will be the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, November the 14th, in the year of our Lord 2021. So we're getting near the end of the church year and pretty soon we'll be hitting Advent. For the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, the Old Testament reading is from Daniel 12, the Epistle is from Hebrews 10, and the Holy Gospel, which we're going to be looking at, is from Mark chapter 13. So, this is when Jesus has gone to the temple, and verse one begins. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, the temple, of course, had originally been erected by Solomon, but then it was destroyed in the Babylonian captivity. Then it was re-erected to some degree when Israelites from the Babylonian captivity returned to Jerusalem, but never the kind of grandeur it was in Solomon's day. And then Herod had worked a number of years in redoing the temple. So even though it wasn't like Solomon's magnificent temple, a wonder of the world, it still was magnificent to look at the wonderful stones, the way things have been put together, etc. So, the disciple says, look, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus says to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, what's Jesus talking about? Well, he's predicting the destruction of the temple. In, in fact, one can really say that the temple ended up being the presence of God at the cross of Christ. Remember, the temple curtain tore. That wasn't so much so that people could enter the Holy of Holies, but that God left the Holy of Holies and the temple became a curse. Uh, A good way that Jesus explained that there was a fig tree, and it wasn't time for fruit, but it had beautiful leaves. And Jesus cursed it because it didn't have any fruit. And the disciples were wondering, why are you cursing it? This is not the time of fruit. But he was making a point about the temple. The temple may look beautiful, it has wonderful buildings, great stones but it is cursed because it has become a den of iniquity with, well, selling animals to sacrifice for your sins, which never can occur according to the book of Hebrews, as well as taking worship space over for money changers. So Jesus puts a curse on the temple and never again, will it house God in the inner part of the temple, the Holy of Holies. So, on, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is verse 3 of Mark 13, thus was opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they're talking to him privately. Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, you can understand those questions from those disciples. They want to be prepared. But it's kind of like Advent. God prepares us. We don't prepare ourselves. And so Jesus says to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Now, what Jesus is referring to, of course, are even false teachers, false pastors, who say, I am the one who am proclaiming the word of God. For example, the Pope believes he's the vicar of Jesus Christ and therefore he can say things that are as good as if they are in the Bible. Try and find in the Bible about purgatory or about Mary being sinless or about the fact that she has already gone up to heaven in the body and we can pray to her. In fact, it's of some interest that in yesterday's Bible study, we were talking about Mary, and I made the point that Jesus' brothers and sisters, whoever they are, and Mary really didn't believe Jesus. What? Somebody said, because they had a view of Mary that she was really wonderful. She had the angel taught to her, Gabriel. But remember, that same angel taught to Zachariah about the birth of John the Baptist, and he didn't believe the angel. Now, Mary did believe the angel. She said, let God do to me his servant whatever he desires. But she did not have a full understanding of what it would take. That's why she was somewhat perplexed when Simeon in the temple talked about that she would be grieving greatly. And that was about the cross. And see, if Mary had believed Jesus three times, he said to the apostles and to those around him, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will die there. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. And yet Mary was found to be at the cross also, weeping in anguish, thinking the end had come. Remember, it was only that woman who anointed Jesus with costly perfume who believed what he had said about the magnificence of his resurrection from the dead. And that's why she was anointing him with perfume ahead of time, because she wouldn't have the opportunity When he was taken down from the cross and three days later while the other women went to see a dead body she knew that he would not be there so there was no time to anoint him after that he had risen from the dead. Now that's faith and yet the disciples Mary his family and many did not yet quite understand until after the resurrection and Pentecost, when all things were brought back to their remembrance. In fact, Mary became a great teacher to the Apostle Paul after he was converted. He had spoken to her, and she brought back to her remembrance, well, the visit of the shepherds. Now she understood what it meant. The visit of the Gentiles. The words of Simeon and Anna, and the words of her own son. So, Jesus is warning us that there are those who are going to say, I'm the one speaking for Jesus, and even some who say they are the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. Verse 7, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Now this next sentence, the end of verse 8 of Mark 13. These are but the beginning Of the birth pains. What is Jesus talking about? Well, in a birth, you give birth to a new individual. And that new individual will come about on the day of judgment. It's going to be the kingdom of God in heaven, where the saints are going to be with the angels and with Jesus eternally. But it's important to understand that there's still going to be earthquakes. There's still going to be nation rising against nation. And these are about the beginning of the birth pains. Now, what has that got to do with today? Well, today they're having a great big seminar in, I think it's Sweden, yes, where they're trying to stop global warming and of course they're blaming human beings for what is happening on the earth causing well hurricanes tornadoes earthquakes etc well all you need to do is listen to Jesus that not only will nation be still rising against nation kingdom against kingdom but there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. And these are just the beginning of the birth pains. So the idea that a human being thinks that he is able to stop the world from falling apart goes against the Holy Bible. In fact, we had had a little time, I think it was with Wes Rhymes, that's right, where the Archbishop of Canterbury indicated that those who are against stopping global warming can be likened to the Nazis who killed Jews. Now, of course, he had to apologize because many people, including the Jews, would not accept such a parallel. The killing of Jews and Christians in concentration camps was horrendous. And if you wanna make a parallel, the Archbishop of Canterbury should have talked about abortion because that's very similar to what the Nazis were doing in murdering even children, experimenting on them and so forth. So we have a promise here from God that there's going to be wars but do not be alarmed. These must take place. And the end is not yet. Because nation will be rising against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines. So this is because we're living in a sinful world. But it is a way of looking at the beginnings of the birth pains when the new world will come into existence on the day of judgment. And all of us will change, but not by man's might, but by God's power. So, verse 9, Jesus says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governor and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Now we know that that prophecy began very quickly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven. The apostles were taken to synagogues. Uh, Remember, Paul was beaten you were not allowed to go over 40 strokes, so he was beaten with 39. And then he indicated, I am a Roman. And they were shocked to hear that. And he had to go, therefore, before governors and kings. But what was the purpose of his doing that? It was to bear witness about Jesus Christ before them. Because verse 10 says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. In yesterday's sermon, we were looking at the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does that become a blessing that you are persecuted? And I made the point in the sermon that I am a pastor for a number of decades and there's no doubt because I am speaking the word of God that I have been attacked, I have been persecuted. Now that's because I've been on the radio for almost three decades and yet you hear a lot of emails to me and phone calls of people who disagree with what I have to say. For example, when I talk about infant baptism, you have Baptists who phone in and say, no, you can't baptize an infant. They don't know what's going on. Or when you talk about the Lord's Supper, you've got the Reform phoning and saying, no, piece of bread, bit of wine, that can't be the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so even among Christians, there is persecution to those who stand for the word of God. And I made this point. If you have not yet been persecuted, perhaps you are not making a witness to others. And that's not hard to do in this day and age. For example, there is an individual I know who almost lost his job because he spoke out against homosexuality, said it was a sin. And this was in a workplace that had nothing to do with religious matters, but people were really angry. They, they thought that he hated homosexuals. No, we Christians speak out against any kind of sin, including the sins we do daily. Why? Because of our love for people We don't want them to get stuck in a lifestyle that is contrary to the word of God through which they might lose their faith and not be saved. So it's an act of love when Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, when Peter is attempting to stop him from going to Jerusalem to be crucified. Or when he says to the Pharisees, you know, your father, your real father is not God, but the devil. It's a way of waking them up to the fact that they are not understanding the faith of the Bible. And of course, they did not understand it, except for some. Remember, two of the leading Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, both of them being on the high court, and they were on there, the Supreme Court, in order that they might hear from Jesus, and they both came to faith. So, there's no doubt that witnessing can have a big impact to people. So, The gospel first must be proclaimed to all nations. Jesus is making it clear that it's not just for the Jews. It may have been initiated through the Jews, but it is completed when in heaven there will be many people from different nations, from different languages, from different races, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do when we're persecuted? Verse 11, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite times on KFUO Law and Gospel is the open mic hour when either people will phone in or send me emails with questions. I really enjoy that because these questions can be answered by the Bible. In fact, I often say, if you ask me a question over something I've said, and I cannot back it up with a biblical verse, then turn the station, I am a false teacher. And that's why in Lutheran theology, the Bible is found again and again as evidence for what we believe, teach, and confess. And I have to say, there have been times when I've been asked a question, and I have to mull it over in my mind, And I come back with an answer that even surprises me. And it shows again that it's the Holy Spirit who is leading us to speak. Verse 12. This is sad. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Even in families, there will be divisions. When we had professors at the seminary I attended fall away from God's word, there was great disruption even in their families. And they were teaching their children things that were contrary to the word of God. And children rebelled and went contrary to their parents. And that's just one example from one seminary. It occurs throughout the world. And then verse 13, which is the final verse of Mark 13 in the reading for Sunday. It says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, what does it mean we'll be hated by all? It's in the context of being a witness to Jesus Christ. People hate hearing you be a witness to Jesus Christ because it includes both law and gospel. Who appreciates hearing that they are such terrible sinners They deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Nobody likes that. And yet that is the message of the Scripture. It came to Adam and Eve, and it comes to every one of us. And it comes to those to whom we are witnessing. The reason people need Jesus Christ is for the forgiveness of sins. And if people don't think they're sinners, well, then there's no need for Jesus Christ. How do you show them that they are sinners? You use the law. And the law specifically, for example, the Ten Commandments. I've had people in the back of Uber, the cab I drove around, and I was telling them they are sinners. No, I'm not a sinner worse than my neighbor. I said, well, have you broken the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill? No, I've never killed anybody. Oh, so you've never said a bad word against someone you didn't like or have a bad thought against someone? Well, yeah, I've had those. Well, according to the Sermon on the Mount, Thoughts and words are equal to actions and therefore they all deserve eternal damnation. In other words, you use the law to show a person that they have fallen short of the glory of God, which means they are not equal to God in his blessed purity. So how do you become pure enough To get to heaven, not by your works, but the righteousness of God is given to you by Jesus Christ. He takes your sin and exchanges it for His righteousness. And that's what we receive in holy baptism. That's what we also receive when we read the Word of God and come to faith by hearing the gospel message, which the gospel is the promises of God connected to the incarnation, life, sufferings, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're getting near the end of the church year on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith we'll be taking a look at a hymn entitled, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. And it's a reminder to us to be aware of the fact that the end could come.